Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. I am back. Uh, Mary Kay and Ashley filled in admirably last week while I was gone. In fact, we're going to start here, Mary Kay. Rory McGinnis from Columbus has the first question that we're going to start with. Uh, and I just want to start with a comment from Rory who said, Ashley, you did a great job filling in last week for Dan. I was sad to hear how stressful last week was for you. Uh, I'm also sorry that last week was stressful, Ashley, but uh, you guys did a great job. You got five pods up. Um, I thought maybe I was going to try to log back in today to my email and stuff and it wasn't <laughs> going to work. Um, that It was just, I was done. It was, I was finished. Ashley had Wally pipped me, uh, but luckily everything seemed to work. So I'm back uh, and appreciate Ashley uh, filling in last week on very short notice. Cause as you guys mentioned, I did give the crash course like literally on Friday. So it was... <laughs> It was a crash course and it was a very quick turnaround. So I certainly appreciate Ashley taking all that on. I mean, Mary Kay, you experienced it. You can say nice things about Ashley now too. She, she does listen. So we can't say mean things. (laughs) You know what? Really? She did a fantastic job. You make it seem easy to do what you do in terms of producing these pods and hosting these pods. And she had to step in there. It's very technical. I was in the, you know, the little training session that you gave us and uh, you made it sound so easy. I knew it wasn't going to be, but she was able to uh, get through it and produce them. She did a great job. And uh, of course we missed you, but you know, we, uh, you know, we went and did the, uh, the AM, we snuck in that AMA while you were gone. Uh, just to have a little bit of fun. So when um, one of these days this summer, we'll do another one because those are kind of fun. I know you like to do that sort of stuff and uh, and we'll do one. But we were using that as an opportunity to promote the Women's Summit that, uh, that we're going to be part of on April 20th. So we figured that we would be a, a good way to kind of to kick that off. So um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a long week without you and we're glad to have you back. And you can find that Mary Kay actually just tweeted about that um, maybe like an hour ago as we're recording this. So it's like 3.15. So if you go back on Mary Kay's timeline, you'll see uh, you, you can find the link for um, the, the Women's Summit. And I'll, I'll find that and stick that in the um, the description for the podcast here, too. My dog is back, too, as you can probably hear. So he is uh, all fired hey. up to be back on the podcast. All right. Let's talk a little football. Uh, we will we'll stick with Rory from Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, what percentage likelihood do you believe that Deshaun Watson will regain his elite status among NFL quarterbacks? Well, I'll tell you what, I feel a lot different about it now than I did uh, before they signed three more pass catchers for him. Now I think he really does have a chance to be one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. I do think that quarterbacks are only as good as the weapons around them. And now that they've added Elijah Moore, they've added Marquise Goodwin, and they've added Jordan Akins. I think when you uh, bring those guys into the fold with Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku, now I feel like that's a competitive pass-catching group. Before this transaction cycle, I was very concerned about it. And I still actually think that you know they could go ahead and add one more really, really good receiver. You can't have too many. Look at the Kansas City philosophy. They just threw bodies at it this year, and they were able to come up with some really, really good weapons for Patrick Mahomes. So I feel a lot better about it now, and uh, and I think that that Deshaun has has a very strong chance of being very successful right away this year. Yeah, I, th- I think it was really important to go out and add a guy like Elijah Moore, um, add Marquise Goodwin, just add to this, you know, 
the throwing bodies at it philosophy, although Elijah Moore is a little more than that. Um, to, but just to really make that investment in helping Deshaun Watson, you know, regain kind of what he was in Houston. Um, and that I do, I'm wondering what they're going to value in the draft. Like there are some speedy guys in the draft that, that are really interesting and they're, they're going to be in a position where they can maybe get some of those guys late. So uh, I'm with you. I don't know that they're, they're necessarily done adding to this wide receiver room. Um, and, and I think a lot of these guys, now that they've sort of had a year to digest what Deshaun likes and, and what can work and, and Kevin's had some time to figure that out, it does feel like, you know, especially more and Goodwin seem to fit with what they want to do with Watson. Yeah. I mean, it really brings necessary speed to the offense. They really didn't have it unless you really believed that Anthony Schwartz was going to be able to get it together and contribute this season. And right now there's really no evidence that that's going to happen. He's got a lot to prove and I don't think they're counting on it. That's why they went out and got these two guys in part. They needed to add that element of speed and they did it. Now they've got a couple of of those smaller Beckham Jr. type of smaller, shiftier guys on this offense. Uh, Now, the thing about it is that uh, it probably precludes OBJ from coming back. And I, for one, was kind of looking forward to the possibility of him coming back here for a lot of different reasons. Um, But now it seems like that's probably not going to happen unless his market, you know, really kind of bottoms out at the price that he's looking for and they can get him on the cheap. Uh, You know, I just don't see it happening necessarily. Um, So again, never say never, but I was a little bit disappointed that he's not coming back. So I, I'm just thinking about this as we're talking about it. I know that obviously they went out and they made that trade for Amari Cooper to bring him in. Um, But they did kind of go into last year leaning heavily on Anthony Schwartz developing Donovan Peoples Jones developing. They drafted Michael Woods, um, they, they were going to use Jakeem Grant, uh, more, but he obviously ruptured his Achilles. So, so that went out the window, but does it like, I kind of hate this theory and I don't necessarily agree with it, but does it feel a little bit like maybe with the looming suspension and, and all of that, that maybe they did avoid going completely all in last year or am I just, I mean, again, I'm just throwing that out as we're talking about this. So I don't, I don't know if, if I even believe that honestly. You know what? I think they overestimated Deshaun's ability to step in and be successful in this offense right away and also overestimated his ability to elevate the play of everyone around him. I think he will elevate the play of everyone around him once he gets his sea legs. Uh, But I don't think you can step in and all of a sudden turn Anthony Schwartz and David Bell and Michael Woods into productive NFL receivers right away. I think that takes time. I think it takes effort. I think it takes experience. And and now they have some experience at, at those positions. I mean, they if they had gone into this season without getting Elijah Moore and Marquise Goodwin, I mean, you're right back to trying to rely on some really, really young guys on a wing and a prayer. And you just can't do that. I mean, you have to know uh, that these guys can go out and produce uh, you know, what you don't need is for Deshaun Watson to, to kind of be like raising those, you know, shrugging those shoulders about, hey, you know, where were you? You know, why didn't you look back for that? You know, he doesn't need that. He needs somebody that can anticipate what he's about to deliver. And it can come from anywhere. It can come from any different arm angle. It can come from anywhere on the field. And you really have to be ready for what he's going to offer. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit more about pass catchers and someone who is very familiar with Deshaun Watson. This comes from Mike in Chester, Maryland, who, by the way, put his name and his city in a, in a format today that clarified everything for us. So it is Mike, <laughs> comma, Chester, Maryland. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mary Kay, I read an article today suggesting that the Cardinals might release DeAndre Hopkins. If that happens, do you think the Browns would try to sign him to a one-year deal. Now, I did a little research on this. It seems like this was sort of a throwaway line in, in a podcast by an NFL reporter. This wasn't like a you know a, a huge nugget thrown somewhere, but there was a um, there, there was a rumor that DeAndre Hopkins could be released. If that happened, do you think that could kind of rekindle the Browns' interest in him if there was interest there? Yeah, the, this is one of those situations. It falls under the category of never say never. Uh, a lot of times you have a player like this where if the market isn't what they think it's going to be and things change drastically, they become available. So, you know, you might check in with Andrew Barry about a guy like that, you know, when we're at the combine or when, when we're at the NFL owners meetings or something like that, and it just doesn't seem likely. And then all of a sudden it becomes likely. I mean, in February of last year, there's no way they thought they were going to land Deshaun Watson. There were so many things working against them. They didn't think it was going to happen. So you really can't say never in this business. And so when you have a DeAndre Hopkins or when you have even a Kareem Hunt or if you have an Odell Beckham Jr. and they're still floating around out there, uh, you know, I think it's always a possibility until it absolutely isn't. So Kareem Hunt's an interesting name to bring up. I was thinking about him this weekend um, and a little bit last week. It, I mean, is the longer he's out there, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of interest to bring him in. Is, is there starting to be more and more of a chance that he could come back? Well, you know what? Someone told me over the weekend that um, that the door is open, which, you know, I was a little bit surprised about that. And I think I answered that in one of my Hey MKs. Uh, that the door is supposedly open. I mean, it's not wide open. It might just be a tiny crack, but it is open enough that if he remains out there and you can get him at a very, very low price, then, you know, maybe with some incentives thrown in, then I think he would become a possibility. I mean, he's a sure thing. You know what you're going to get for him. If nothing else, he'd be a phenomenal insurance policy against injury to Nick Chubb. So I would give it some serious consideration and, you know, he's from here. He likes to be here. Nick loves having him here. So I wouldn't completely rule it out. Not on the front burner, not likely, but never say never about Kareem. You know, and sometimes when you're a player out there and you need that job, like sometimes you got to come crawling back a little bit and, and maybe play on that one year deal. I do think there would be a little more interest in Kareem Hunt, not as like a, maybe not as a primary back, but uh, you know, as a, a cheaper option as, you know, maybe to split carries or something like that. I, I wondered if maybe Kansas city would be interested in bringing him back. I, I thought there would be more opportunities out there for him, to be honest, even if it wasn't on a big deal. Yeah. You know what, just running backs just traditionally, you know, find that the market can be soft in some cases. And sometimes it takes an injury for a team to get really interested. Their lead back goes down and suddenly uh, you come calling on a Kareem Hunt who can step in and be the workhorse back for you. Uh, so it might be that kind of situation where he has to wait it out a little bit, or, you know, maybe the Browns do come back to him with some kind of an offer 
and and he is a little bit more willing to take it. So we'll have to see, you know, we'll keep an eye on that one. But I mean, there are a number of decent players that are still out there. John Johnson the third is one of them, right? I mean, like some of these guys, you just think that uh, that they're going to find a new home fairly quickly, and they don't. So um, it's the next month or two should be very interesting. Yeah, and the draft will provide a little clarity too. If teams feel like, oh, you know, we can get a starting caliber safety in the draft, and maybe their guy's not there, they turn and, and they bring in JJ three, something like that. So, um, you know, that that's kind of another inflection point in, in the off season as well. So we talked about Kareem Hunt. Let's talk a little bit about Nick Chubb. We had a couple questions about him. Shannon from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Hey, Mary Kay, Kevin Stefanski seems to have an affinity to preserving Chubb and his career by limiting carries game after game and year after year for the most part. Do you feel he would do what needs to be done to win a game in spite of this philosophy? For example, Deshaun Watson is struggling and the only way they are moving the ball is through the run game and Nick Chubb. Yeah, I think he'll do whatever he had to do to win a game. I think there is a concerted effort to keep Nick Chubb fresh, uh, not only until the end of the game, but through the end of the season. So I do think that they really work hard to do that. Um, but I also think that Kevin is smart enough to do whatever he has to do to win a football game. So if, you know, if Deshaun just doesn't have it on any particular day and the matchups are right and, uh, you know, and Nick has the the hot legs, then, you know, then I think they will use him more often than they normally would. So uh, I think it's just a situation by situation basis. I, I do think it's interesting that Kevin sort of addressed this um, at the owners meetings that, you know, they do kind of look at this as they've got to keep Nick. It's not just that one game, right? You, you know, you're hoping to play 20 games with Nick Chubb and have Nick Chubb be peak Nick Chubb for 20 games, 21 games. So um, I, I thought it was interesting to hear him kind of address that uh, at the owners meetings when you guys talk to him. Uh, out in Arizona, I, I so, sort of an interesting philosophical decision. And I, I don't know that I can argue with it. I mean, I know it's easy to sit there on a Sunday and Nick Chubb's carrying the ball like crazy. And you're like, why can't they do that 30 times? Well, you know, you've got to think longer term than just one Sunday, right? Yeah. And I think there's an analytic whereby after 18 carries, Nick's production starts to drop off or something like that. There's, there's something out there. I don't know if it's next gen stats or whoever came up with it, uh, but there is something. And that is where Kareem Hunt always came in handy because you knew that you could give a bunch of carries to Kareem and he was going to get the job done for you, both in the run game and the pass game, catching those uh, passes out of the backfield, which he is excellent at. So, I mean, it really is time for Jerome Ford to step up and, and let's see what he can do if they don't end up bringing Kareem back, which again, at this point, I still think it's unlikely. Um, but yeah, they have a philosophy of, of keeping Nick fresh. And I think it's one of the reasons why he has had sustained success throughout his career. And, and they did pay him. You know, when you pay that running back, you want to be able to maximize that contract. So I, you know, I, th- I think it all makes sense. Now, Greg from Indianapolis uh, has a question about the offense. Hey, Mary Kay. How much of the option do you think we will see in the offense this year? With the new speedy wide receivers, Nick Chubb may have even more room to run paired with the great stable offensive line and Deshaun Watson's running ability. You know what? I I think so. I mean, I think you're going to see more of all of that kind of stuff this year. RPOs and and different things that that they did not um, 
you know, that they, they did not run as much last year. You can do a lot of that stuff with Deshaun Watson. So I think you'll see more of that. I think you'll see more no huddle. I think you'll see Deshaun Watson uh, having more authority at the line of scrimmage to run the show a little bit. I think he's ready for that. So I think you'll see more, you know, change of tempo. I think you'll see uh, all, all kinds of things that we haven't seen yet. And and you've mentioned this before. I mean, this is something that Kevin is kind of work. This is like the off season here for Kevin is kind of studying some of those quarterback run games and seeing what he likes and, and kind of stealing some stuff uh, from other teams to incorporate with Deshaun Watson. And some of that is probably going to be some read option. And I do think the other interesting point that our texter makes here is that, that Greg makes is if you spread the offense out more, it's, it's going to give Nick Chubb more, more space to run and you're going to get him one-on-one with safeties and corners. And um, so it's, it's not just lining up big bodies and running. If you're an 11 personnel or if you're, if you've got four wides and Nick Chubb, there's, there's just going to be a lot more room to run. Yeah. And in addition to that, um, even when they have, uh, they're, they're viewing Jordan Akins as almost like a big wide receiver. So even when you've got three wides and Jordan on the field, I mean, it's really like you're running, you know, a spread, you know, you're running like four verts basically <laughs> um, because he is like another big wide receiver. And I, I think that's important to note. I mean, people don't know a lot about Jordan Akins, but that's what he is. He's a big body um, mismatch wide receiver that can do a lot of different things for you. And um, so, I mean, he joins the pass catching group. He's not just some blocking tight end. I mean, he's somebody that's got really, really good hands. He caught five touchdown passes last year. I think that's so significant when you can score the football. I think it makes you so valuable and he's proven that he can do that. And then we know that he has got chemistry with Deshaun Watson. So I'm looking for some big things from him this year. Yeah, and I think they'll do some stuff out of that big personnel that Kevin still likes. Um, and, that, and that's kind of interesting, the way that you're describing how, the, how they view him. Um, that Not necessarily just that big-bodied Harrison Bryant type. And it does kind of make me feel like there is a role still for a guy like Harrison Bryant, even if Jordan Aikens is here, and even if it is maybe a reduced role for, from what he's had. Yeah, I mean... I actually think it probably will be a re- reduced role from what he said, because I think they're going to be pretty excited about Jordan Akins. And when you uh, go to the two tight ends, it's going to be David and Jordan, I think, primarily. Um, of course, you will go by um, the mismatches. And if Harrison matches up in a more favorably against someone more so than Jordan would, then perhaps they would use him. But uh, I, I think they're going to carve out a nice package of plays for Jordan. And I think they, you know, I think they've been up on the whiteboard looking at the things that he's going to be able to do, especially in the red zone and the end zone. That's what they really need. They need more touchdowns. They need to score the football. He can do that. And I think he's also going to have help bring out the best in David Njoku because I mean, David and Harrison Bryant together last year, of course, they did not have Deshaun Watson for 11 games, but they combined for five touchdown catches. They combined for those. David Njoku only had four. And I still think that no matter who the quarterback is, he should be having more than four touchdown catches. Of course, you have to get the opportunities. You got to be healthy. You got to be able to get those. But um, but if, if he, again, if he's not in the neighborhood of eight, then I, I think something's wrong and that I've kind of misjudged the whole situation. 
Okay, let's take a break. And then we've got some kind of random questions here uh, all over the place to get to in the second half of the podcast. And back on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, Real quickly here, uh, this comes from Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland. That music you just heard, he had a question about who does the intro music and how did you decide on that? I dig it. Well, Paxton, uh, I just happened to find it. Doug Lay Maurice uh, happened to have a whatever free music site that free use music site that we pull our music from. And uh, there's a credit in the the podcast description. If, if you look at that, you can find a link to the, I think you'll find a link to the whole song if, if you like it that much. So uh, nothing special there with the music Paxton. Although I have thought about maybe like seeing if somebody could record like a catchy little intro for us or something. I don't, we should have like a contest uh, and have somebody record a new orange and brown talk intro song. So there we go. Uh, let's go to this question from Howard in Los Angeles. Hey, Mary Kay. Ashley's forecast for the draft had no linebackers from mock draft that she put up uh, today. Am I the only fan who sees a crying need for linebackers? No, I think linebacker uh, would be a good addition in this draft. It's, it's sort of easy to draft linebackers uh, in that, you know, they're not a premium position and you don't have to necessarily spend a first round pick on one, maybe not even a second round pick on one, depending Um, so third round starts to be a pretty good place to get a linebacker. Fourth round is certainly a good spot. Uh, you can look at these guys also as special teams contributors. So, you know, I would think based on the fact that so many of their guys are coming off of injuries and serious injuries that they will probably draft a linebacker or two out of this group. Um, or if not, then they will add one or two in, uh, you know, late stage free agency, trade, something like that. There will be a couple new linebackers coming in here. I, I feel like this draft is going to be impossible to forecast for this team. I mean, just the, just the nature of not even having a pick in the first three, or the first two rounds. And then we, we got to try and figure out what they're going to do um, in, you know, in the seventies. I don't know. And we saw last year, like it could be anything that, you know, they decided to take a cornerback and a, an edge rusher and a wide, like the, they're they're probably just going to take the best available player unless it just absolutely does not fit on the roster. And and that just makes this a complete wild card of a draft at this point. That is so true. They will definitely take the best available player. Now, the I mean, the only time that you really don't do that, and most of the time you do, even in the first round, but in their first year in 2020, their needs matched up with the best available players at that position. So there were plenty of tackles that you could get at number 10, and they also needed a left tackle at number 10. So, you know, that just kind of all came together. But when you get down into number 74, if you're not picking the best available player at 74, you're doing yourself and your team a disservice. I mean, you want somebody who eventually can play somewhere. And at number 74, you're not looking necessarily for an immediate starter. You might get one. I mean, Martin Emerson exceeded a lot of expectations. Uh, but for the most part, at number 74, you're looking for a contributor and someone, especially on a, a roster like this that is pretty well set at most spots, uh, you'll be looking at someone who can become part of your rotation at whatever position uh, he is at. So, um yeah, I think uh, it's it will be impossible to predict what they're going to do, 
but you can rest assured that it will be the absolutely highly greatest player they have there at number 74. Okay, this question comes from Casey Ensalado in Perrysburg, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, is there any chance that Bubba Ventrone would look to hire Josh Cribbs to the special team staff either now or in the future? Well, Josh would have to be 100% ready to, you know, to move into the coaching ranks and, you know, it would have to be a fit for everyone. Uh, He'd have to start, you know, kind of lower on the totem pole as assistant special teams. And again, he'd have to be 100% committed to the coaching lifestyle. And it's, it's hard. It's, you know, kind of a 24 seven proposition. And we know that, uh, you know, Josh has some TV stuff going on. Uh, you know, he does some some things, you know, in the entertainment world, in the media world. And uh, and I don't I don't know if he'd be up for that. I mean, maybe it's more, uh, you know, just kind of bring him in as a guest coach here and there. Uh, I'm sure it's something that will be talked about. Maybe they'll consider it. But I just don't know if it's something that uh, that they're clamoring to make as a full time position right now. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the things people sometimes don't realize when they kind of throw out some of these former players or legends coming into coach, like you got to really want it. You've, you've got to be willing to show up and put in, you know, basically be at the facility all day, every day, especially once that season gets going. Um, It is like you said, it is a lifestyle. I remember, is it Jim Dre who was working for the Browns as like a quality control. Like he was trying to get in and he was like a quality control coach and he was basically after games staying up all night just charting film. And like, you know, this is a former player and now he's got to, you know, stay up all night at the facility after a game and chart film and do all that dirty work like it is it is a hard lifestyle and especially when you're just getting in on the ground floor. It is it is really thankless and really difficult. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Josh McCown likes it. Uh he took over the the quarterback job in Carolina. And, um, you know, that that's going to be a very, very labor intensive job with a new quarterback there. And uh, and, you know, he's got a lot of kids. He's you know, they're not super old yet. And uh, and I think he's going to find out Well, he knows because he was a player. and He understands what those guys go through. But I think it's going to be it's going to be a grind. And I wonder how he's going to like it. He's going to be a great coach. I mean, he's really going to be a great coach, but um, it's just going to be kind of up to him to see if it works out with his family life too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if any position understands it as, as well as anyone's probably quarterback, just because they're so much like they're expected to, to be there so much more than everybody else. But even that is like a, a culture shock. If you're, you know, going from being a quarterback to a head coach. So it's uh it's a difficult, difficult profession to get into and it doesn't stop. You know, it's not like Kevin Stefanski has reached the top and he gets to work like eight hour days now. <laughs> you know, it just it is a never ending lifestyle when you decide to get into uh, to NFL coaching. Um, let's see here. A question. Oh, this is from Megan in Pittsburgh. I wanted to ask you this. I'm not 100 percent sure what she's referencing. I know we've talked about this on the pod. I'm not sure if there's something else that's been floated out there. But Megan says, hey, Mary Kay. What was that Baker Mayfield story from the Senior Bowl? I was going to wait until the Senior Bowl happened again to ask, but apparently it was two months ago. Uh, she says she'll, she promises she'd still read an article if you wrote it. She's just always fascinated to learn about whether and how things that happen later could have been predicted during the draft processes. So I'm not sure if she's referring to just sort of what you observed from Baker during the Senior Bowl. Um, I know we've talked about that a little in this pod before, but um, just 
that whole experience is always worth revisiting because you do you do pick up on things in, in these interactions with players. Yeah, and I've written about it some and talked about it some. So yes, I have uh, basically kind of put it out there for the most part, what he was like at that senior bowl. Um, I don't feel like he wanted to be there. I don't feel like he treated it as the job interview that it was. I don't think he put his best foot forward. He had people making excuses for him there. I had some coaches talking to me and saying, oh, this is all about his mom. You know, his mom is sick and, you know, his head's just not in the game. Well, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, everyone has things going on with their with their family and um, you still have to have your head in the game when you are there in the moment. If, if you aren't supposed to be there at her bedside, then you have to have your head and your feet where they're at. And he he just did not treat that as seriously as he should have. I thought he felt like he was above the senior bowl, whereas um, you contrast that with, with Josh Allen. I mean, he just, I mean, he absorbed it. He made the most of it. He was cordial. He was gracious. He gave interviews. He gave autographs. He was just exactly what you would want from a number one overall pick. And I think the Browns ignored his behavior, Baker Mayfield's behavior at the Senior Bowl, which was unacceptable in my opinion. And as I mentioned, and I've written about this before, um, when I was up on Radio Row at one point, I was asking one of the um, one of the young workers who kind of, uh, you know, shuttles the players from one point to the next. And it's usually a very relaxed atmosphere. You can get guys, you can pull them aside, you can get a one-on-one interview if you wanted. I've, I've done many one-on-one interviews uh, at the Senior Bowl and, you know, different hallways and outside of Radio Row and things like that. And the guys are usually great and gracious about it. And so I was asking uh, one of the young workers, Hey, you know, if you happen to see, you know, Baker Mayfield, I was going to see if I could catch up with him and, you know, run alongside him for a minute and ask him a few questions. And, um, and she said, Oh, well, good luck with that because he's been, um, he's the rudest, you know, he's the rudest person that we've ever dealt with up here. And, you know, that's meaningful. That's meaningful because your job interview begins when you wake up in the morning and it ends when you go to bed at night when you're at something like that. And I wouldn't have had him on my draft board after that, after the senior bowl. He just, he did not, uh, you know, he did not handle himself correctly there at all. And, um, and I think he's matured and grown since then. And he's been humbled and he's learned a lot. Uh, But there were definitely some red flags there. Yeah. And like, if you can't, if you can't even fake it in that moment and, you know, pretend like, you know, treat, I mean, look, you should treat people with respect because that's just normal. But even if you're not that type of person, if you can't fake it for like the biggest moments in your life, that tells a lot about who you are. So like, you know, even if, I don't know, like the way, the way people treat other people, especially when it's an athlete with, you know, someone just shuttling them around, that tells you a lot about who they really are. And to just pile onto that, like you couldn't even act like you cared about these people. That just tells me so much. And I think we experienced that. You know, we experienced it firsthand in his dealings with us. And also, you know, I I think there were people in that building that probably feel the same way as that person who was shuttling around at the senior bowl felt. Yes, absolutely. And then he left the game at halftime 
And I, you know, I know, you know, he just left the game at halftime. And I know, um, you know, that he, he told the senior bowl folks that he had to get home because his, his mom wasn't doing well and that she was, you know, that she was sick. And, um, you know, may, maybe that's exactly how it went down. And, you know, I mean, I, I would hope that that would have been the case if that's what he, you know, if that's what he was saying and that's why he needed to do that. But it just seemed to me like perhaps you could have waited two more hours to leave, like finish out the game, be grateful that you were here, uh, that people took the time to travel there, um, you know, to, to interview you, to watch you, to scout you. And um, yeah, I mean, but by that time, John Dorsey only had eyes for Baker Mayfield. Okay. He basically probably didn't even watch Josh Allen at the senior bowl. I mean, he, he did not really necessarily give him the time of day and he should have, because I remember being there and I, I remember a guy that I really trust a, a personnel executive in the NFL that I really trust his judgment. He said to me, Oh, I know John Dorsey's going to do the right thing and pick the best player in this draft. And that is Josh Allen. He said, of course, he's going to do the right thing. And he went on and on to like rattle off all the great things about Josh Allen and, um, and, you know, Dan, I did a lot of my own due diligence that year. I talked to his private quarterbacks coach. I talked to coaches at his college. I talked to him. I talked to other people that knew him. And I talked to a lot of offensive coordinators about the notion of, can you take an inaccurate college quarterback and turn him into an accurate pro quarterback? And a lot of them said no. But there were extenuating circumstances for why he wasn't accurate in college, including the fact that he just wasn't surrounded by the best talent in the world, right? I mean, you know, he he, he just wasn't throwing to, you know, the LSU receivers. So, um, so I do think that, um, you know, the signs were there, and that's basically the gist of, of the stuff that happened at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, and then to top it off, you know, you have Josh Allen, who some of it is like, when you land in a place and sort of how are you developed and grown, right? And Josh, it lands in this great spot in Buffalo with Brian Dable and, and they build around him and Baker lands in Cleveland. And it feels like a lot of those, a lot of those bad behaviors and, and the way he treated people weren't corrected the way they, they should have been. So, I mean, maybe you can take a guy like that, but you've got to be ready to sort of bring the hammer down in spots and, and correct some of those things. It felt like Baker was, and some of it had to do with all that success he had early it felt like he was very enabled um, in his approach and kind of the way that he did things when, once he got into the NFL, which only made it worse. Yeah. I mean, he landed in one of the most dysfunctional NFL situations in the history of the NFL. I mean, it was really, really bad uh, when he ended up here. So, um, so yeah, I would say that he did not, uh, he did not get off to the best start that he could have uh, based on some things that were out of his control. I mean, when you hear Patrick Mahomes talk about his development in Kansas City, he attributes it to Andy Reid and being coached by Andy Reid. I mean, who knows where Baker Mayfield would be right now if he had been with like a Sean McVay from day one, right? I mean, like that could mean all the difference in the world between the success and failure of a quarterback. So I, I do think that that has something to a lot to do with it. Okay, this kind of goes in the uh, ask me anything uh, question, but I think it's interesting because I think we don't have Ashley on, on this pod, but I think we all approach this very differently. This comes from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay and Dan, 
When you are on vacation, do you pay any attention to what is going on in the NFL or with the Browns, or do you step away completely? And I'll preface this by saying, probably as the person amongst the three of us who disconnects the most, it is completely impossible to just completely, like, step away. Like, it would be overwhelming to come back, like, after a week off or however long off and try to get caught up on everything. I mean, I was following along with the owners' meetings and and all of that, so... I don't think any of us actually completely like disconnect, but um, I mean, I, you know, you try to do what you can. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. And it's different at different times of year, right? Dan? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't completely disconnect because like you said, I mean, there was, you know, some significant Brown stuff going on last week while I was at the owner's meetings and, um, you know, when you've got Andrew Barry talking about the Cleveland Browns and you've got Kevin Stefanski talking for a half hour about the Cleveland Browns and you've got the Haslam's talking about the Cleveland Browns for half an hour and you've got Odell Beckham Jr. showing up at the NFL annual meetings. There's no way that you're going to be able to completely shut that down. So I feel bad for you because you did kind of have to pay attention a little bit, right? I mean, now if you take vacation, and we all probably will do this too, if you take vacation in those weeks where everybody in the NFL takes vacation, in those weeks in June, those late weeks in June and those first couple of weeks in July, then you have a much better chance of shutting it down. And, and kind of unplugging. And I'll tell you what, we all do a pretty good job of that when it warrants it and when yeah. you can. Yeah, well, and, last, you have to. And, and look, last year was like impossible to do that, though, too, because we had the Deshaun Watson suspension hanging over us. We had the Baker Mayfield trade hanging over us. So I think yes. we're all looking forward to uh, like knock on wood, normal June and, and July this year, where we don't have those things kind of hanging over our heads. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try to stay off Twitter for the most part. I try not to sit there and scroll on Twitter, um, you know, but I'm you know, I'm still on all the group texts. I'm still seeing what's going on. Um, you know, I got the Lamar Jackson alerts last week and saw mm-hmm. the stuff that Jimmy and Dee and Kevin and Andrew were, t- you know, it's you, you kind of I, I think the big difference is. And I've actually never taken the week of the owners meetings off. I've usually taken like the week after the combine off, but I was just late this year. Um I think the difference is like something happens and unless it's just enormous earth shattering news, you just kind of say, all right, well, that's interesting (laughs) time to move on. Whereas the people who aren't on vacation have to kind of deal with it. Yeah. But you probably did figure out that it's probably in the future, maybe not the best week to take off because you just couldn't really, (laughs) right. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it's fine, but you know, you probably were getting all these alerts and you, because every single coach is out there talking, every single general manager is out there talking, every single owner is out there talking. It's just a, it's a big newsy week. So even though you would not have had to really necessarily write anything off of all that because you would have been here in Cleveland, um, it still is a distraction to having that, you know, having that Twitter go off all the time. So I don't know. You might have to rethink that again next year. Or maybe well, it's the perfect week to take off. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't so, I mean, it was, it was a staycation. It was just kind of a chance to squeeze a, a week off. Cause like what, you know, once the season starts, th- there are certain times of the year where we just can't like, you don't have a chance. I mean, for you, cause you have to go to the owners meetings every year. There's no way you could have taken last week off, but um, no. you know, combine week during the season, during the draft, all of that, we all, there's small windows that, that we kind of have to, 
to squeeze in vacation. So it's just more of a, you know what? I think I can get away with taking a week off next week. And luckily there wasn't like gigantic, you know, like, oh my God, the Browns made this giant trade or or something. <laughs> yeah. Like sign OBJ while we were out there or something. Right. right? That, that, that would have, that would have changed. <laughs> that would have probably been like, oh, I guess I should probably open up my laptop here and, yes. and do some work. <laughs> but I was curious, did you, you know, did you paint a room or did you get anything, you know, did you on your staycation, it, did you get anything interesting done? It wasn't super productive. I did a lot of like cleaning, like a lot of stuff in our house has just gotten messy because our schedules are super, my wife and I, our schedules are super busy. Like it's just been a crazy year. So, you know, like I've been working in our basement and like some bedrooms and stuff. So it was very much, uh, I wasn't at the beach. I'll put it that way. <laughs> It we'll was a we'll save that staycation. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the kids were off, so we did some little things, but that was that was about it. Nothing, yeah, ex- well, nothing exciting. To, I hope you got a chance to, you know, rest, relax a little bit, unplug, you know, stay away from this a little bit and uh, kind of recharge the battery. I know you came back all motivated to write <laughs> stuff today, so that's good. Yeah, it's weird. That already disappeared. So I don't know. It took like <laughs> half a day, but yeah, at least at least I'll always have those those four hours or so. <laughs> great all right well that will do it for this edition of the uh, orange and brown talk podcast hey mary Kay edition uh if you are not subscribed to this podcast get subscribed uh apple podcast and spotify leave us five star reviews and uh say nice things about us as well and also become a football insider subscriber cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page to get info on that and get signed up because that's where we get all of our questions for this podcast for when we do the amas all of that stuff. So uh, just get subscribed, cleveland.com slash Browns. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.